you ever hear the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the White? Darth Plagueis, the Dark Lord of the Sith, so powerful and so wise, he could use the Force to influence the midi-chlorians to create... Together, we can rule the galaxy as father and son. You may want to rule as father and son, but this here is no place for a Padawan. This is the dark side. This is Sith Dark. Everything is proceeding as I have foreseen. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, rebel scum and loyal to the Empire, this is Sith Talk, the show where we talk about Star Wars, Star Wars movie news, the politics behind the business of Star Wars, the comic books, everything in between. We talk all things Star Wars, deep dives, and everything. We just talk everything here. I am your host, Zach Chrisman, aka the Lord of Lore, and again, joining me is my full-time now co-host the lady of lore Lindsay, how are you doing you know i'm good uh, i'm good i feel like we have so much to cover tonight and i'm just excited because this is one of the very very few times where you and i are connecting about certain subject matter without having any inkling how the other one feels about it so most of the time when you and i get to chat I have a general idea for Zach is pissed off about something or Zach is excited about something. Yeah. But this time I, I genuinely don't know what we're going to be in for tonight. Yeah, it's quite exciting. I think this episode is going to be a mixed bag and full disclosure guys. Uh, we're going to be talking about episode seven of the book of Boba Fett. We're also, we're going to open up with episode seven of the book of Boba Fett. So if you have not seen it, go see it and come back to us. We're also going to be talking about the High Republic, Fallen Star, the Claudia Gray novel. And um, I think that'll be like, aside from little things, that'll be the the juice of this episode. But I just want to forewarn anyone who has not either watched book of Boba Fett or read Fallen Star, Star or if you uh, are curious about fallen star maybe you want your midwestern is really coming out right now (laughs) yeah no it's it's yeah it's (laughs) fallen store fallen store it's called it's called exhaustion um and also that i have these like headphones on right now and they are so like i can't hear anything around me so like i'm developing a little bit of an accent and i have my mandalorian hat on but anyway what have you been, or what did you think about Book of Boba Fett as a whole? Okay, as a whole? Yes. It was a fun playground to be on. It wasn't like, oh my god, this is the best show ever, and everyone who likes Star Wars needs to see this, and anyone who doesn't like Star Wars is going to like it because of this show. But it was it was a fun way to play around with and test certain characters, certain relationships, certain you know technologies, even um, between Luke and and 
that whole thing and and uh, you know it it was fun it was it was a good seven weeks it's not like I was particularly angry by anything or felt cheated in any way um but it's not one where I'm like man I can't wait for May the 4th just to be able to rewatch this and have an excuse you know yeah, I think looking back on this episode or this series as a whole, it's a series that right now I really don't think I ever needed. I think I needed Boba Fett. I don't think I needed this iteration of him. And while I had a good time with the Mandalorian episodes, I think the headlines for this show, which by the way, guys, I took off my hat so I can actually hear and not speak like a total like Canadian slash. Um, Midwesterner. Um, I think that this show was not this iteration was was a awesome example of creatives trying something different, and it's simply not working out. I'm not angry about it. I'm glad that they tried to try something new, but at the end of the day, I think this was a little bit fast tracked, and the writing was just not quite there. It it doesn't make me mad. Um, but it, it just wasn't quite there. I'm very thankful for everything we got on episodes five and six. I think they have such a big foundation to add to the Star Wars mythos that I will always go back to Book of Boba Fett for those two episodes. But when it comes to Book of Boba Fett, the story of Boba Fett and the story of Tatooine, I simply did not need this. No, no. And I, I kind of think I felt that way going into it. There were there were a lot of things that I was excited about in the show. And I was very vocal about it. You know, like I thought going into this, this was going to be a Sopranos-esque type show and a lot of like organized crime going on and, and bosses undercutting each other. That's what I thought we were gonna get. Um so it's not even that I'm disappointed in this show because it wasn't that. I think I've proven time and time again, anyone who has listened to my prediction of things versus what has happened and my reaction to what has happened. I am not someone who's going to sit here and be like, man, I hated this because it wasn't exactly what I thought or exactly what I wanted. This though is just, I even, even though I was excited about that aspect of the show and what it could have been, I I did say from the very beginning, Boba Fett just isn't a story I need. Tatooine just is not a place I need to visit again. Um, and it, it didn't change my mind. I was hoping that I would get to the end of this and be like, man, thank God this, this story happened. This is so necessary. I feel such a connection to so many of these characters now. And it just never came to fruition. Yeah, I think, and this is not a subject we're going to go down because I think we have uh, multiple topics to talk about when it comes to the Rise of Skywalker, but uh, a lot of things when I when I use my reference for the plot of the Rise of Skywalker, it's like in the movie, Poe is like, it seems somehow Palpatine has returned. Like he didn't even fucking know when Palpatine was going to return. And at the end of this episode, Mando or uh, Mando Book or Boba Fett is like. 
He's like, ah, oh, I don't know if this is for me. And she's like, if it's not for anyone else, it's like even even Boba Fett was like, I don't know why the fuck I did this. And I like, as I, <laughs> no, like that, that's the end. Like, no, if you true. get, it's true. If you get rid of that dialogue, it's it's at least like they're trying to give an angle for him where he's dedicated. But it's like you go throughout this whole series where. You're trying to buy in why Boba Fett... They never explain why he's trying to be honorable. No, they still never no, explain can, that. Can we can we kind of shift gears a little bit and talk specifically about the this final No, I think, I think we should. I probably should this... not have worded things okay. in the sense of as a series as a whole. No, no, that should have no, been you, something that I closed you, on, but I don't know. No, because you're, you're right to do it just because... The reason I say that is because... This episode felt so undeserved, so it's hard to talk about the context of this episode with, or it's hard to talk about this episode without the context of the series as a whole. Because to me, it's just, if you're going to have a 60 minute fight scene where you're taking every character that we've met so far and putting them in, we have to feel like it deserved that. And we have to feel a connection to these characters and to the this story where anyone who dies, we're going to have that emotional impact for anyone who loses somebody or has to sacrifice something. We're going to have that emotional impact for. And we just didn't at the end of this. And even, even when the fight scene is said and done, what bothered me the most about this episode. And when I realized this landed really flat was when that's, Scene that you just referenced when they are walking through the town and everyone is bowing at him and he's he's there saying you know like why do we do this and even throughout the episode throughout the entire thing when he's like we need to protect these people these are my people i i speak for them i lead them it's like no you fucking don't what on earth happened in the past six weeks that makes it makes us think that these are your people most of them didn't even care for you or want you here or willing to step up and fight for you like why the fuck do you think these are your people and we're gonna have this great emotional storyline here yeah and i think it you know a lot of people are kind of looking at well john favreau wrote this and there is something to be said about the writing of the show because the writing doesn't actually it's not. I don't know how how fair it is to really even. And I'm not defending John Favreau because I simply don't know how fair it is because we've gotten such a bipolar show so far. You have the Robert Rodriguez episodes that seem so stilted and so stiff and so dumb. They're directed very dumb, to be honest. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not angry. Like this is not a Zach tangent. They're just dumb. Like, Boba Fett is a little bit of a meathead. I'm a meathead. I'm smarter than Boba Fett in this show, and I'm a meathead. He doesn't think things through. But then when you look at, like, later episodes, like 5 and 6, Jon Favreau wrote that. And it was very well-paced, the way the suspense was. This episode felt very clunky and very dumb in a lot of different ways. Like, overall, did we all say, a lot of people say, he's going to ride the Rancor through the streets. Yes, we all kind of thought that was happening, but it wasn't until I saw the Rancor, Rancor that I was like, wait a second. So he's fighting the Pikes in a middle in the middle of a town when he has a palace that, by the way, has a lot of vantage points, by the way, is in the middle of nowhere. So if an enemy tried to get there, 
you would they, you would have like the high ground on all fronts, which by the way doesn't have any windows. You could have done the whole fight there, and you probably would have stood a better chance. Not to mention Black Chrysanthemum walking in the middle of a town, not up on a window, not just like casually. He's the only guy in this area, and he's just in the middle of the town when he knows that the Pikes are looking for them. It's very strange. It's just very la- lazy. I don't even know if it's writing because I haven't read the script. But the way the director is directing it, it's very poorly directed. Even the CGI was very, like, very different from 5 and 6. It seems like they spent all their budget on 5 and 6 because even Cad Bane in the beginning of the episode seemed very stiff. A lot of the fighting seemed very stiff. When you look at the CGI, it doesn't quite connect. It does not, and it was, it was misused, you know, like I didn't need budget being spent on, let's see these, this biker gang ride through the streets one more time. I absolutely in no way, shape or form needed to see the Rancor King Kong moment ever. That's never, ever been something that I needed or wanted. And even seeing it, I feel cheesy watching this. This isn't a well-deserved moment. This isn't making me excited. And for whatever reason, I don't know what, why this irritated me so much, but when they have like the small group of townspeople who are fighting and they win the battle or they think they win the battle and they all start going like, like the yippee and they're whistling, but it's like 12 of them. All I could think of was like, look, if me and 12 of my friends just band together and fought a little mini battle in the streets i would not be like whistling and saying yippee at the end of it you know on a positive note it was really nice to see from a fandom perspective this choice where everybody was talking about baby yoda the lightsaber or the armor but i can't lie that it i can't lie that it feels a little rushed that like when he sees Baby Yoda, it completely un it completely undoes Mandalorian season the fi- finale of Mandalorian season two, and it's also yes. not it's not very yeah. suspenseful when he sees him. Like you would you would imagine like music really swelling up, and you can see the emotion in his helmet. That's been directed very well for somebody who doesn't speak during given moments. It was directed like you would think it was before the Mandalorian ever came out. Like oh, it's just a guy in a helmet. It felt very like guy in a helmet not reacting as opposed to Bryce Dallas Howard when you look at the scene where he's handing over his weapons in Tatooine he is like you can feel the suspense of him like putting the the dark saber into the the case this one felt she, like she oh hey what's up you silence yeah yeah it just felt like okay hey what's up like on a positive note The dialogue between the Mandalorian and Boba, like, hey, man, if I'm going down, I made a promise. This is the way. It's a part of my creed. I'm not leaving you. I thought that scene was very, very fucking cool. I thought Fennec Shan was very fucking cool. I like the idea of a Rancor. I love those huge droid decas because that did cross my mind watching this episode. Wow, that would be really dope if we got some droid decas in here. I don't know why I think of that. And then boom. They show up. But everything else seemed like very unnecessary. And I don't even feel like Yeah. 
it just kind of feels like we're cutting it down at this point. And I, I don't even know it if does. I want to waste it. does. Because to me, if it's if it's like, oh, this is cool to see. This is like a cool fight scene. It's like, put that in a fucking video game. You know, I don't need to. I don't need seven weeks of build up for that. And I agree with you that it undercut Mandalorian season two because Din, we watched grow so much where him losing Grogu hurts him. Yeah. But we understand he's doing it for for himself, for Grogu. We we get that sacrifice. We're not happy about it, but we get it. And we hope that in season three or season four of Mandalorian, they're reunited. The reason I think this undercuts all of that is because it was too easy to get back to each other. Whereas I, I would have loved to have spent next year before Mandalorian comes out, everyone debating, did he pick the shirt or did he pick the lightsaber? That would have been a fun year-long debate and theorizing over not not a week. Um, so, th- so there's that, and then it's just, it's too easy. It's like, why did he have to go through all of that if they're just going to hook back up very first chance they get? And to add to that, I think that did... You know, there was a reason for those chapters to be in Book of Boba Fett. I just really didn't like the writing of it. And so I agree with you. I completely agree that we should have been able to contemplate everything about that. Like the shirt, the lightsaber. That would have been a lot of fun. Did it make sense for Boba Fett? Yes, even though the writing wasn't really there. And so I don't really yeah, know. I, I, this overall, feels so just, weird. It was a playground. It was a playground of a show. It was a. It was a show never once meant or designed for Boba Fett. It was a show to see where we could take Mandalorian, see where we could take certain technologies. I think kind of test out fan reaction for how Luke would be perceived and other characters might be perceived in the future. Will it set up something for Ahsoka? I would not be surprised. Um, but but overall, I don't think looking back on this, anyone is going to... I, I think that this show will be a trivia question at some point. Where it's like, did this happen in Mandalorian, Kenobi, or Book of Boba Fett? And no one's going to know 10 years from now if it was Boba Fett. I think if I were to summarize this show, I would say... I think Boba Fett is still a very good character. I think Boba Fett, played by Tamora Morrison, is still a very intriguing character. But I also think that this show is what everyone feared a Star Wars TV show to be. I applaud Disney. I applaud Disney for taking a chance on clearly trying to cut out the character of Boba Fett, the actual character that we know, and force a Western cowboy show on him, taking a risk, I applaud them for actually taking a risk because they clearly very much wanted to make a Western show and they figured Boba Fett would be the best. I applaud taking chances. This just didn't work for me. So at the end of the day, I'm very thankful for Book of Boba Fett. I think it's a learning curve for everyone, and that's cool. Yeah, yeah, it is what it is. We can all move on past it, I think. Okay, so, it feels very weird to be moving on from a season finale of a show 
that normally we should be spending, what, two hours on an episode, but being the fact that I personally, honestly, uh, I've been really hyped up about Star Wars lately. Like, there's been a lot of a lot of things in Star Wars that I've been very excited about. And so I don't really feel like being negative. Like, Boba Fett's cool. It's fine. We moved on. What I have been dying to talk about is the High Republic. Specifically, Claudia Gray's Fallen Star. Lindsay. You have been amped about this <laughs> for like two weeks now. It's every day. So so you ready? You, you want to talk about it? You done? I almost feel attacked that you said that, but you're not wrong. So I will accept nope. it. I will accept it. <laughs> what did you think about this book? Because I'm gener- I feel like when it comes to this book, I am the hype man. And so I want to know, I have no idea what you think. Yeah, you you don't. So I think it's a great book. It is a really, really great Star Wars book because to me, it has the things that I love about Star Wars. Like I love the Jedi. I love the Force. I love the kind of mythological religious aspect of Star Wars, which this was, I think, very, very heavy in. Uh, I, I have my critiques about this book. I don't think it's my favorite Star Wars book of all time. Uh, really loved it. Love Claudia Gray. Still love her after this. Love her even more after this. Um, but I, I think my reasons for liking this book will be different than everyone else's. And I think my reasons for not liking this book could also be the re- or I don't want to say for not liking this book. My reasons for not loving and getting hyped and saying that this is the best Star Wars book of all time um, is probably the reason why a lot of people do like the book. My biggest thing I will say time and time again, um, this is not a critique about the High Republic or the way it was rolled out or the way that they they did this with multiple authors in waves. Because um, I, I like it. I think that this whole concept of the High Republic worked. So it is not a critique. It is very simply an observation. I have a lot of trouble remembering what happened in what books. Whereas a lot of the reason I can remember a lot of details about Star Wars and certain characters is because I'm usually very, very good at being able to identify the exact book or comic book or movie, TV episode, whatever it is that it came from. Everything in the High Republic, I'm having trouble keeping straight in my own mind. Like, what book did it come from? When did that book come out? What author wrote it? So it's it's already, even just, you know, having recently finished this, it's already kind of blending in with all of the other stories in the High Republic for me. Yeah, and I think it's like... I, I would agree that that is something that the High Republic can kind of tend to lead you towards. But overall, I think that I've I've gotten the story pretty good so far, but I think that this book was a huge step up from everything that the High Republic's done. I, I love Charles Soule's uh, Light of the Jedi. This book actually had ramifications, and if I, I've had plenty of time to think about it, I think that this is my favorite, my favorite 
Jedi-specific book in Star Wars. Because of the sacrifice of all of the characters, because the Jedi are all different people, because they're written so well as characters, they have their own individuality, it's very easy for Jedi to be very, uh, kind of written the same way. And in this book, every Jedi's trying to do the right thing, but they all are handling it in completely different ways. The characters can sometimes not, you don't know where they're going, but they completely surprise you. And they're, they all have, the Jedi in this, all have thoughtfulness. I What I also really love about this book is it actually has stakes. A lot of people die in this book. And it's a little bit... I was un- just going to say, yeah, the stakes are real in this. Yeah, and it's a little bit unexpected at times. Which, from a writing standpoint, it could be very easy for a viewer to say, well, that was a little sudden. And it's like, for me, I'm like... That is death, man. Death can fucking come knocking real quick. And when people just died, people that actually had build up for a couple books, they just die. Shit. That hit. And I I respected that so much. And I it made me respect this series so much because you know, I play a lot of D&D. And while I love D&D, it does tend to have like kind of an arc where you create these characters and there's a little bit of plot armor for your characters. Like you have to really kind of fuck up to really die with some DMS with some DMS. You really have to mess up to actually die because they care more about your story. And me as a player, I always have liked the kind of story that is very rule driven. Like if you do something dumb, if you make the wrong move, you will die. And this in all this invested time that you spent in your character is gone. It's just gone because of a bad. Yeah. I don't, I don't like when there's a hero shield where you're like, Oh, this, you know, of these 20 characters, of course, these seven are never going to die because they're the heroes. They're the protagonists. You know, I think that's kind of why people, hooked onto Game of Thrones the way they did because the end of the first season, they realized that there is no hero shield. Anyone is fair game and it could happen at any moment. Yeah. And I think that's like the, the number one takeaway and, and, or not the number one takeaway, but one of the, the biggest takeaways of this book was the actual stakes of the characters and everything that they kind of set up just to kind of let you down in the best way possible. And I, I tell I tell like my DMs in D&D, like, hey, if it hits and it hurts, that feels good. Because it feels like if I actually win and I get out of this, it feels earned. And that's what this book felt like. It felt like there was a huge sacrifice for the book. And when you live in a blockbuster world where you know your characters are going to make it out no matter what, it was so nice reading a book where some people didn't. Not because I'm a murder hobo, but because it felt good to have actual stakes. It did. So for me, though, the stakes weren't even necessarily death. Like, that was, it's weird to say, like, the death was nice. Um, but yeah, it was nice knowing like, Hey, no one is safe for me though. It wasn't the, no one is safe because they might die. It's the, no one is safe because they all seem to be facing like a real internal battle too. So I like that. It's not, it's, it's weird saying or hearing you say that this was like your best 
Jedi driven book. Um, cause for me, I think that will be master and apprentice for a very long time, which oddly enough was also Claudia Gray. Um, but that's because we learn so much about the force and we see such a wide range of types of Jedi. The reason this is really up there as a Jedi driven story for me though, is because for all of the Jedi we see seem to all be battling the dark side in their own way without being able to say it. So they have vices. It's not just here are these, you know, boy scout esque Jedi protectors who face no real internal hardship and it's all figuring out the external stuff. It's like there is a darkness in them and they need to figure out how to either overcome it or live with it. Yeah. And when I, the reason why I would say this is my favorite Jedi book, it's not because of the philosophy of the Jedi master of a master and apprentice has a really good, story when it comes to the prophecy and i think it it adds depth to the force so i would almost consider that a force book the reason why i consider Mm -hmm. it my favorite jedi book is uh is because of the inner turmoil of each jedi and you said that um it's not that these jedi are like basically goody two-shoe jedi but what's great is, like, even the Boy Scout of the High Republic, Stellan Geos, has so much inner turmoil. So everybody in the galaxy... I would say more he, than anyone else. Yeah, more than anyone else, even Elzar Mann, who kind of, like, kind of wears his mess on his sleeve, even though it's much more deeper when you're actually inside his head. Stellan deals with a great lot about, you know, kind of diving in too much of the council and and listening too much and and learning hey who am i outside of the council which is something that made ray so appealing as a character um when you look at like the future of the jedi where is the individuality when you look at anakin there's so much like there's so much ah man when it comes to the high republic there's so much comparisons to anakin or the relationships of love that are so deeply intertwined in the series that I just like I can't believe but when it comes to Stellan Geos the relationship that I would I would compare him to Anakin is not so much that he is in fear of going to the dark side it is that he is he is so dedicated he's like the Obi-Wan who realizes he's being so dedicated to the council He's someone who actually recognizes, hey, I might be a little bit of a poster boy. Who am I actually? And when you look at the when you look at Obi-Wan as a character, I don't even think Obi-Wan catches a breath. He's like, I am for the council. This is why we do things. He doesn't even know why he does things. He just knows protocol and he's doing the best he can. He's a great character, but he's doing the best he can. Stellan Geos actually recognizes, hey, I am I don't really have my own identity. Who am I? And I think that's so beautiful as a character. Not only that, though, too, because it's it's not just he struggles with it and he asks the questions, or I guess it is that he struggles. He doesn't just ask the questions. He really struggles with it. It's not like he just asks it for the sake of grandstanding. It's something like he really internally deals with. So I liked in this, I liked all of that Jedi stuff. Any Jedi character, I really enjoyed. 
as we were supposed to. The things I think I would change about this, though, I've said it time and time again, one of my favorite things about um, the High Republic so far has been the villains. And I feel like that was extremely lacking because the tension here just came from a very different storytelling device. You know, normally it is protagonist first antagonist and who's going to outmaneuver the other one, who is more evil versus more good, um, and how are they interacting with each other. This time, that wasn't so much the plot driving device. It was, here is this issue that the antagonists are dealing with. We're going to set a timer to it. And now it's a race against the clock. So it's not to say that either one of those is better than the other. It's just that to me, the Nile were so cool this whole time to then switch gears to not say, Hey, we're going to focus on the Nile. There's going to be all these really cool characters and, and really individual characters. It's switching to that, you know, set the timer and race the clock. Um, that was the only, only kind of gripe that I really had with this book. I know a lot of people will really like that. I think it's an incredibly, incredibly effective method of storytelling. I was just really excited to have one more story with the Nile, you know? Yeah. Um, and when you add to critiques and stuff that maybe you didn't like about the book, I loved this book. However, I'm still, I still have critiques. I still feel like they are treading lightly when it comes to Marcion Rowe. I feel like one more we're one more book away from being bored with them stretching his story out. I don't feel like we're getting enough of him. I thought that this book would give us answers, but considering it it kind of feels like it kind of feels like Charles Soule sprinkled in some very heavily implied intrigue at the end of Light of the Jedi, and we still have not yet gotten to that. Much less the actual um, being, entity, monster, whatever's killing the Jedi, we still don't really know what that is. And I tried to, like, kind of, after reading this book, I, I revisited the High Republic comics because a Jedi uh, gets killed in the comics from this being. And they don't show it. I, I tried to revisit it, study it, see if like there was any kind of details to add to this kind of conversation about a um, entity that apparently melts Jedi into dust and, and, and is a vacuum of the Force. It, it, that's the only thing we know is what is in these books and in these comics. It feels like my critique is they're not they're they're kind of spreading thin these villains, and they're they're it's almost becoming very soap opery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, Mar- yeah, I, I, mean- I think soap opera is kind of like a really nice way to put it because it, I, I don't un- understand, even if it is going to be like a big climactic finish where one, <clears throat> one day we see all of these villains kind of come in and, and play together, it's going to feel too. What's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> Not even late. It's going to feel too congested. I would agree with that. 
I would agree with that. I would say, and that's why I say that I think Marcion Rowe is one more book away from us not caring. You know, it's kind of one of those yeah. things where the bad boy just, he's got so much mystery that you're like, ooh, I'm interested. Until he takes a little bit too long to tell you, hey, why are you so fucked up? And then you just don't care and you move on to the next guy or whoever you're into. It's just like where it's like the bad boy trope where they wait a little bit too long at the end of the season, they fuck up and you're just kind of over it and you move on to the nice guy. It's one of those things. And Marcion Rowe is one more book away from outstaying his intrigue. That's a good word. That's a good I mean, phrasing honestly, of that. For, for him too. It's like, he was never the biggest draw Right? Like, he was interesting. Yeah, I'll be honest. I did not even expect him to live to this point. I thought he would have been overthrown or captured or, or something of the sort. Um, but just the the thought of the Nile in general was really cool. Right? It was, it was interesting. It was new. But no, you're 100% correct where it's he's outliving his intrigue and they're going to have to go focus on something or someone else. You're... 100% correct there. And see, if I were to get technical, I would argue that from my point of view, the Nihil are the weak part and Marcion Rowe, the intrigue of Marcion, is the part that I really like. And I will give them credit. Marcion has actually, or Marcion, it's, I listened to Audible, so I've had two books where he's Marcion and then they changed it to Marcion. Yeah, I heard so it's like I still, the whole Han Han debate. Yeah. That's not me being an idiot. That is literally just me not adjusting to Markeon Rowe. But Markeon, I feel like as a person, as a leader, as a um, villain, has evolved. It's the hinted backstory and his hinted plans that are, to be specific, it's those two things that are kind of driving me up the wall. And it's not too late, but I think by next book... I need him to show his cards because I've seen him grow. I love where he's going. He is a um, evil bastard, like very fucking evil. And I dig it uh, because one of my biggest things when it when we were going into this High Republic was how are you going to create a villain type of people that aren't the Sith that can't combat the Jedi, how are they actually going to be a threat? And they've done a very good job at showing a threat that is outside of the Sith, outside of the Mandalorians, outside of anything we ever know. No, we know the Sith. The Sith are evil, but they believe that what they're doing is out of passion, out of hate. They're predictable. The Nihil, they'll throw a bomb on fucking Starlight Beacon. And just wait you out and smoke you out. And they're not just evil. They're not just chaotic. One of them is actually smart. <laughs> One of them. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like Marcion Rowe, though, too, like by the end of this, I kind of lost, really did lose that intrigue because when he just gets up and he's like, yeah, you know what? If I wanted to rule the galaxy, I could, but I don't want that. I'm just kind of here to fuck shit up. That's not really an interesting character for me anymore. That's very, I think it's, it's done so well, like with the Joker, but I don't need a, how many book and how many comic book and how many audio book build up to that. Yeah. But maybe 
it's not fair to say, given my arguments on wanting more out of him as a character, even though I'm very intrigued. My, I guess my argument isn't fair to say, but there are some archetypes like the Joker. Maybe Marcion is the type where some men just want to watch the world burn. Some people get adrenaline on, you know, watching other people suffer. Uh, it's a weird kink that maybe Marcion has. And at the end of the day, it's very good story for our characters. And it's not like they're playing it to where the characters are still rising above everything Mar Marcion's doing. It's, it's weird because we still don't know anything about him. So it's tough to tell. We've talked so much about him already. And it's kind of a circle. You know, I'm very. I don't know. I kind of feel like we do know enough about him at this point. Yeah, but they've hinted at his. I guess when I say know enough about him, he he acts like he's one step ahead, and they've never told us why. I mean, like they they hinted at his lineage in Light of the Jedi, and that he was some some ancient lineage. In the comic book, there's only been one issue right now. They explain his world and his people. They don't go any farther than that. So when it comes to the hint of his lineage, that is still not answered. What his specific lineage actually did. The comic book does not go there. And it also is implied that he has a grand plan. That's the intriguing part. But it's not going anywhere so far. It's just... No, I mean, for the next wave of this, though, we're going kind of back further in time so we're really if there is correct me if i'm wrong but if there is some grand design for this character we're not really gonna see it play off for some time are we but did and i was talking to brandon um did they specifically say that every book was going to be 150 years before everything that was my understanding of it. Why, that, did you think it was just like one book or one story? I, I, I didn't know because I watched the entire press thing, but it kind of like, it wasn't a definite thing. It was, it, it kind of felt like, Hey, this book is going to be 150 years. Like they were like, yeah, the high Republic phase three or phase two starts 150 years later. If it starts 150 years or later if it starts 150 years before before that yeah. can mean like one book if they they didn't specifically say the whole thing will be and that is very weird it's a very weird thing to go from where we're at right now to okay now we're gonna bounce you back but that also yeah. could answer a lot of questions that we still have about Marcion's people, about his lineage, about some of the things that we don't know. Maybe this secret monster that has been siphoning the Jedi or Force users until they're completely left barren to a husk. Which, by the way, is very cool. In the comic, it looks cool. And in the book, it's, it narrated. It's awesome. It's very it is cool. really, really cool. So I, I think too, I thought it would kind of play out if I was right by the end of this, but I just think that they're going to have to tie the Sith in at some point because yes, I understand that in the Jedi's eyes, the Sith are long gone, you know, and, and by this point they don't think the Sith are the issue, 
But we as the audience know, yes, they are. They're still poking around in the background. They're still up to their own machinations. They have something planned. I think it would be really cool to see if Marcion Rowe was somehow, maybe even unknowingly, but somehow dealing with and orchestrating with the Sith and him and his crew are just a, uh, a some, kind of, some kind of pawn for, yeah, yeah, for something bigger and grander. So maybe if even by going back farther in time, we start to get a better understanding of his lineage of these creatures and preferably how this all plays into the Sith falling back into the background and into hiding. Well, oh man, that this is why you're a great co-host because you actually go places <laughs> that I'm like, shit, you're right. Let's talk about this because my brain has went there and I am too tired to actually think about that right now. Um, when it comes to, okay, so I, I want to continue what you just said, but I want to also put a, put an end to what I said. When you go into 150 years, I think that the only way for that to make sense is if they want to explain to us Markion's lineage, possibly what you said about the Sith, that maybe his grandfather had a deal with an ancient Sith Lord to uprise, to create these plans of grandeur, to kind of keep the eye. He is literally called the eye. What did the Sith want? They want to keep the eye off of them. He is literally the great distraction. So maybe that could happen. Maybe that's explained. Maybe they explain that this uh, being that, you know, through a horror novel or whatever, maybe they explain what this being is. And that way, when we actually get reintroduced to the current timeline of the High Republic, which is 300 years before the Battle of Yavin, or Phantom Menace? Phantom Menace? Um, I, yeah, I think the original setup and press release for this, they were not talking Battle of Yavin, they were talking Phantom Menace. It's so confusing. Why wouldn't you just use before the Battle of Yavin? Jesus. Yeah. Anyway, um, before the Phantom Menace. I mean, I guess though, when you're, when you're talking about hundred year gaps, right. those 30 years aren't quite as right. big and as, you know, monumental. Right. But when you're talking about the current timeline of the High Republic, it could be very fun to know the secrets as a reader and watch these characters, a.k.a. Elzar Man, a.k.a. Um, uh, what is her name? Um, Jesus. Chris. Ellie? Avar Chris. Avar Chris. Uh -huh, yeah. Go through and figure out these problems that we might already know. Like already, like when, like aliens, when you are alien, when you're watching alien, you know what the alien looks like, but the other people don't. It's one of those things where that could be intriguing to know Markion's plan as a character based on his lineage 150 years ago or the monster that is haunting the Jedi. That could be fun. When it comes to the Sith thing that you were talking about, I'm I don't know how I feel about it because of the acolyte. I feel like the acolyte is where we're going to actually see the big portion of where the Sith have been at. And we don't even know it says the end of the High Republic, which could mean anything. It's crazy because it could mean 
that's the problem. We don't fully understand this kind of top. Like, do we understand where it falls? Sure. But do we understand how they're measuring it? No. Because, like, what if, what if this? What if the destruction of Starlight Beacon was the end of the High Republic? What if the Phantom Menace is the end of the High Republic? Like, there's no real clear timeline definitions at this point where we can accurately say, okay, they told us this, so here's everything we realistically know. Okay, so going down this path, we've been very analytical about Book of Boba Fett, about this book and everything. I'd like to actually introduce some fun in this episode. If it were up to you or any kind of thoughts, plot points, you mentioned the Sith. I'm fucking down for that. What do you think the Sith are doing in this High Republic era? Because you know the writers that are actually writing this era have thought about that. That is a thought that we can actually go down because these people actually really care about these novels. Mm-hmm. Where do you so think there's, going? there's the practical side of it, right? Okay. Which is, let's, let's think about what we know about the Sith by the time we see them in Phantom Menace and then in the original trilogy what were they doing? They were buying off political power, right? So, so they have to, Oh, what was it? It was the Darth Bane trilogy. Yeah. Darth Bane. We, we see in the second book of Darth Bane, he is working on gaining funds. He's working on small little rebellions on different planets Mm -hmm. just to be able to buy certain, buy his way into certain groups and start to very quietly, rise to power where he is accumulating a lot of funds throughout a vast number of very small groups. I think that's practical. I don't think that's a story that we need to see play out on the big screen or small screen. Um, I think what would be more realistic and something that they still have to answer for is the cult of the Sith that we see in the rise of Skywalker. That has to be tied back somehow, and that has to be explained, because we cannot sit here and say, here's the, the what we used to know as the dyad. Here's the rule of two. There can only be two Sith, and everyone is quiet about this, and, and they're sharing a finite amount of power. We can't go from that to, here's this entire cult of Sith followers that have known about this planet and this plan all along. I think we're going to, for the Acolyte, have to start getting some explanations, but not necessarily the Sith, but the cult of the Sith. Yeah, I I think it's weird because as a fan, you, you can go one of two ways. By the way, uh, Darth Bane, for fun fact, his... Uh, uprising name to create his wealth and his political intrigue, Lord Edels. That's a great uh, little fun fact. Um, But when it comes to the Sith right now, it's weird to say that there is so much intrigue about them when we've had so much of them as Star Wars fans. But when it comes to the current continuity, there isn't a lot about what is the rule of two. I mean, the rule of two is only based on what the Phantom Menace has said, and Clone Wars. Well, up until recently, because don't forget in the, um, what is it? I think it's the visual dictionary for Rise of Skywalker. They're talking about a misunderstanding about what that was and what the rule of two was. And they think that the 
rule of two now might more accurately be explained by the dyad. And by saying that the Sith was rating for the rule of two, they were saying the connection between the, the light and the dark. So that could be another really interesting thing to explore is if this misconception really took place, when did that start? Why did that start? And what did it actually mean? So the acolyte could be an awesome, awesome way to explain that and put that into the forefront. Yeah. And I think it's, it's very interesting because Darth Bane is canon uh, because of Clone Wars, but it's, it's very weird because Star Wars is now, it, it's a very exciting time when it comes to the Sith, when it comes to the High Republic, when it comes to the Nile, everything that we've gotten, but then you add Dave Filoni, John Favreau, I mean, we're getting Black Chrysanthemum, a guy that was, like, in a couple of comics, and then, you know, hinted that the most Espa Vespa fighters, the mods, the girl was from the Star Wars, aka Mortal Kombat game. Like they're adding a lot of little fun things in these, in the new canon now that are a little bit hinted that that were originally in Legends. And it's weird to think when it comes to the Acolyte and the Sith, the Rule of Two, everything that you're saying, because I wonder where that whole see that complicates everything that you've said. Just complicates the rule of two. But if there ever were to be a dyad in the force, it would be Bane and Zana. And the, the acolyte would be a perfect timeline to speed up the timeline of Bane. You don't need him all those uh, a millennia ago. You could have him very much at the high end of the High Republic. It would make a lot of sense that he would be, instead of Sith lineages away because that's how the story ends. Like there's a lot of lineage in between Bane and Plagueis that it would make a lot of sense for them to correct that canon to make the acolyte Zana. And the story is about Bane and the rule of two and, and introducing all of that stuff. And it makes sense as Bane as a character to keep the eye off of him. And when you have Markeon Rowe, the literal eye keeping the attention off of him. And if you look at Bane as a character, that would make a lot of sense when it comes to what the Sith are doing, I think your question is absolutely great. And I'm now you got me like kind of getting a little bit crazy because I think it makes so much sense. And if I'm looking at anything lately in star Wars versus like, even though I love the last Jedi, it kind of, it took, it made us as viewers say, Hey, don't get so crazy with your theories. Dumb it down a little bit. But when we're getting back into the Filoni verse, the Favreau verse, we're allowed to. When we just seen Luke Skywalker meditate and 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 train Grogu and see Ahsoka and 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 Luke in the same room, I think it's allowed to dream again as Star Wars fans. And the Acolyte has a lot of intrigue, and the Sith are hinted upon. And they have to be the MacGuffin of this time period. And the Acolyte already has a lot of traction. I think your question is so good. And I just go to Bane. I'm sorry. I hope you're right. Because I know everyone talks about Raven, Rev, you know, Revan. And yes, he's an amazing story. But it's always been Bane that kind of intrigued me the most. So selfishly, yeah, I would love Bane. But, I mean, here's where I worry that we're getting too far off from what might actually happen. 
they haven't other than the, the timeline where it's the end of you know the the high republic what else do we really know about the acolyte so far because my issue is when i think acolyte my mind immediately goes to the acolytes of the beyond from the interludes in the aftermath trilogy do we have any reason to really suspect that those two are connected or is it just the fact that the acolyte is not a word commonly used in the English language? This is where we've seen it before. So this is where we're going to draw our connection. Well, uh, there's Sith acolytes, which in the old Republic, that was kind of the, the Padawan of the Sith, the word, the acolyte, the acolyte of the dark side. It was before you were trained by a master, but to read the description of the Acolyte. Leslie Hedlund, Emmy-nominated creator of the mind-bending series Russian Doll, which is actually very fucking amazing, is a boldly innovative filmmaker bringing her new Star Wars Disney Plus series The Acolyte. The Acolyte is a mystery thriller that will take us into a galaxy of shadowy secrets and emerging, emerging dark side powers in the final days of the High Republic era. That is Kathleen Kennedy. Again, The High Republic is a mystery th thriller that will take us into the galaxy of shadowy secrets and emerging dark side powers in the final days of The High Republic. That's pretty you know where I think we, You know where I think we need to go to really start brainstorming ideas? Where? Do, oh God, I'm going to fuck this up. Um, I always fuck up the name of this. Dooku Jedi Lost. Lost Jedi, whatever the the depicting audio the book prophecy was. that's in that books or in that in that book. Not even the prophecy. The um the scene where Dooku as a youngling they like break into the restricted area of the Jedi library and there's all like the the ancient Sith artifacts and shit like that. I mean, I'll re-listen to it if if we're if you want to go down a for a future episode doesn't have to be the episode next to now. We have plenty of topics that we can talk about. I would be very much down to to look into that and do a deep dive on what we might think the acolyte goes. Yeah, to. I think there's I think there's a lot of interesting stuff in that scene, and then even comparing it to the interlude. In Aftermath, or, or in Ludes, if I'm not mistaken, I think there was a couple of them, but about the Acolytes of the Beyond and figure out more about where they were breaking into and what kind of mass they were stealing and what the artifacts did. Does, the, would, book hit on, be... does the book hint on the uh, the Episode 9, um, what is it? The Episode 9 Expedia, does it, or what is it, Encyclopedia, What I'm the graphic, Jesus. The I am, visual, sorry, visual I, dictionary? Yeah. I am I've had a long day. Yes, the visual dictionary. Do they ever do they ever call the Sith people the Acolytes of the Beyond? What are they called? They them? don't know. The the Sith cultist. That seems very weird. I'm sorry. That seems But that's that's why like that's that's something that has to be explained. It has to be. Because we can't go from here are the Sith when we think Sith, we think two at a time to Hey, no, there's the two at the time, but then there's this entire goddamn cult. Like, that's got to be explained. But they could very much be like the, um, the, what is it, of the Force. The Wills. They could be very much the Wills. 
worshippers of the dark side. Ac- I mean, but which this is show, fine. This show is called the Acolyte, not the Acolyte. Right, it's, it's Acolyte. one specific one, and the specific logo is a you know slashed lightsaber across the actual logo itself. So it's very implied, like, hey, we're gonna get into some Sith shit. Like, why would you be talking about emerging dark side powers before the high or at the end of the High Republic? If you're talking about emerging dark side powers at the end of, uh, I don't know, the Rise of Skywalker, I could see going down a different avenue that isn't Sith related. But this is the height of the Sith Empire that we know of so far, and there's a lot of room to grow. But this is the height of the Sith Empire. I don't know. I feel like you just got me way too psyched and I'm going to get let down because I think if there's ever a time to introduce fucking Darth Vane and Xana, it would be during the Acolyte. And I think it's, I think it would be a great thing because it not only, it not only doubles down on a great strong leader that is Darth Bane, but it also, it also is the opposite of Ray when it comes to introducing a strong female force user that is the future of the Jedi, it's it's actually a very good complement to a strong, independent uh, female that is a um, champion of the dark side. And I think Xana is the opposite of Rey when it comes to light side versus dark. A communications disruption can mean only one thing, invasion. Had some technical difficulties here on Sith Talk, so uh, Zach and Lindsay had to head out because the Trade Federation was hot on their tail trying to uh, take over their communications. So I'm just going to let you know that you can follow them uh, on Instagram and Twitter at Sith Talk, and uh, of course you can follow Clashing Sabers over there as well, and uh, join our Facebook group, Star Wars Clashing Sabers on Facebook, and if you are interested in supporting our literacy initiative, of course you can do that through our patreon which is patreon.com slash clashing sabers and all of those links are there for you in the show notes so uh, we will have more sith talk coming for you and more episodes of the clashing sabers podcast forever star wars starships and of course don't burn the sacred text so stay tuned here for more click that subscribe button and until then may the force be with you Hey, looks like you're done talking Sith. Who? Oh, Scion, the bartender. Yeah, he's gone down a couple levels. You're gonna venture down there? Well, there's a few things you should know before you go. Sith Talk, all the Clashing Sabers Network, they ain't associated with Disney, Lucasfilm, or any of their subsidiaries. All these licensed sounds and whatnot all belong to whoever the hell they belong to. We just use them here for entertainment and educational purposes. Look, if you're unsure about something or have questions about what's what, email us at clashingsabersnetwork at gmail.com. And hey, on your way out, make sure you leave us a rating and review. Word of mouth is how people find out about this place. Now, get out of the way, I got paying customers to get you. Jedi business, go back to your drinks.